Welcome to the Performance Health Podcast. My name is Tim Karen. Today we're going to go back into our Strength Coach Chronicles talking about the concept of the art of saying no. This is something that I, I guess I got really on a tangent on areas that I didn't know I was harboring either resentment or a grudge towards. But like anything, you're going to get the authentic representation of what I what what I did and how I felt firsthand for me. So that's my interpretation of that. I think, I think I have a pretty honest assessment and appraisal of my experiences. So I hope you guys enjoyed this. I think this is something that will help a lot of people, to be honest, because I think as a profession, we need to do a better job as a whole saying no to things that we shouldn't be doing or don't have to do. If you haven't, head over to phpodcast.com. We have a full-on curriculum. This is the most advanced curriculum for strength conditioning coaches out there. It's an ever-evolving, growing document that is going to bring an amazing value to you as a coach. This is how I learn. This is how I teach. It's called chunking. Essentially, I just saturate on a topic for a period of time and then move on to the next. I don't move on until I understand and know how to apply. So that's the premise. We'll go through principle principles, the underlying factors that make that true. Practical, how I... I'm thinking about applying it, case study, how I applied it, and then interview with a strength coach, how someone else might was thinking about it and how they potentially applied it. It's a really good resource. It's always going to change. It's always going to grow. We're going to always update it. We're always thinking about how we can make that thing better. So if you get on today, you're only getting in on the ground floor of something that's only going to be better. If you're waiting, fully understand. If you just want to go through the podcast, fully get it. The experience is up tenfold when you get on the actual curriculum. If you haven't seen already, we have our book, Strength Deficit. This is leveraging eccentric versus concentric ratios. This is a really good resource to understand how to train football athletes, track athletes, or just understanding how to leverage eccentric and concentric training means. This is something that as you start to dive into, you'll find is really technical. This is why we created the course, Practical Guide to Strength Deficit, 21 lectures, Diving into how I practically apply strength deficit. So you have your technical guide, you have a companion guide. Both are going to be really good resources for you, the coach out there, to implement this at a high level. Lastly, Realize.me, your command center for all health and wellness performance. This is what I use to use for creating dashboards, experiments, and trying to see the quality of my interventions. Is what I'm doing working? It's a great question. It's important. It's something that we should really think about with everything we're doing, not only with ourselves, but with our athletes. Realize.me, your command center for health and wellness performance. Highly recommend you get on that site. You will not regret that. All right, without further ado, Strength Coach Chronicles, artist saying no, let's get it. So I got a hypothetical for you. Let's say that you are getting up at 5 a.m., maybe even earlier, let's just say 4.30 a.m., five days in a row. That's something we all pretty much contribute is part of the job. Then let's say we, in between groups or even within our off time on the weekends or in between things that we don't have to do, We commit to hours and hours of reading articles, reading books, going to online seminars, trying to figure out ways to improve. We commit to that. And a lot of times we do that out of our own pocket, right? We commit to that, correct? I'm assuming, yeah. Then we start to take on responsibilities, 
right? Things that pop up that we feel are necessary to improve athletic performance, right? So we think about things like nutrition. I've done this in multiple locations. Running analytics and sports science. Maybe there's an element of after they're done rehabbing and going through all the things they can do with the athletic trainers, there's a return to play function, whether it's during practice or during a separate group to kind of get in a more, just a better feel for what they can and can't do in the weight room, right? So another group, right? Uh, maybe there's an element of, you know, quote unquote, accountability or aka punishment. You know, we, we, we say, yeah, I could do that, man. That's, that's part of our job. And a lot of times they're you're doing it to protect the guys from doing stupid things that are reckless and dangerous from the coaches, right? Maybe we do that too. You know, maybe the coaches task us with, hey, maybe we need to do some sort of competition stuff at the end of practice or at the end of lifts or whatever else we do it, right? And then maybe we need to track that and chronicle that and have this whole elaborate setup to, you know, to go through all of the stuff. And, and we look at that as all really on top of our primary job is potentially improving their speed, improving their conditioning, improving their strength and or power. You know, these are all of our jobs, but then we add in all these other functions as well, because quite frankly, we think it's important and it's part of our overall deal. And then, you know, then we get some other weird questions, right? Like a coach says, hey, can you train my wife? Or coach asks for them to write you a program. Or, hey, can you write me a nutrition program? Or a friend or, a, you know, someone else that you care about and admire asks you to write you a strength training program for them remotely. You know, maybe you care and you write them one and, you say, yeah, no, I would love to do that for you. What, at what point do we start saying no? At what point do you start to say, hey, honestly, I can't do that. That I have to do so many other things. I'm going to have to prioritize everyone else all the time. That I have no bandwidth to handle anymore. We're trained, we're programmed, we're hardwired to say yes. I am. I still struggle with it. I struggle when people ask of me what I know I can't do and I am forced to say no. I hate that feeling. I hate it. But I'm going to ask you a question, man. I think that if you don't get to the point of this as the central reason why we need to start saying no, if you say yes to everything, what is the value of anything you do? No wonder why we get such low compensation and no wonder why we start to get such low perceived value from our counterparts in athletic departments or in the world around us. You know, some of the folks that I've worked with in strength conditioning are probably vastly better in things like Excel and and data collection and and testing and and pushing boundaries and learning new skills and learning new developments you know and part of it's like hey you know i'm a work in progress this is a this is a thing that you know i don't necessarily have absolutely mastered yet and i think that gives the impression that you're not an expert in anything and you have this like beginner's mindset which is invaluable. Don't get me wrong. Having this perception of being being this person that's always feeling they're a work in progress is empowering. That's why I read so much. That's why I do so much to improve myself every single day. Because I never feel accomplished. And I never feel like I'm a finished product. 
but also too, it gives a perceived value of the things that you are really competent in on and skilled in and really talented at as less than. Because you perceive that's always a work in progress and you're like, dude, I can justify this, right? I remember when I was, when I first started with my business, I was writing Academy hundreds of programs a month. I mean, hundreds. And I'm I'm not trying to sit there and pound my chest, but I don't think there was a second of any single day on top of coaching every single group for pretty much the first two years of me and my new business that I wasn't coaching or programming. I had so much going out. I had to make this like hard line that if I don't start to prioritize other things for my business, that I'm gonna fail. So I increased the value of it. But when we're just giving it away willy-nilly to kind of get the word out, I shouldn't say willy-nilly, there was an intent to it, but you know, it I think it perceived a lower value. And I kind of justified it in my mind, imagining like the Beatles playing in Amsterdam every single night, and that's how they became the Beatles. Right? If the Beatles can play every single night before they're the Beatles. I can write a program every single day. Now, I think there's an element I needed to be humbled. I needed to be, I needed to be conscientious of my station in life. I left a, a really prominent position and I was really high in the pantheon of strength conditioning coaches. In my mind, my perceived value is extreme, but in the real world, it wasn't. I wasn't really as good as I thought I was and I wasn't as important as I thought I was and people didn't care as much as I thought they should. That's that's neither here nor there really when you look at it now. But the truth is, at a certain point, I was forced to make a decision to start saying no or start saying, hey, if I'm going to do this, it's going to cost a lot. But I keep going back to my athletic department days and I think about all those things that I just mentioned. Writing the program, writing the speed and conditioning program, doing nutrition, doing sports science, doing analytics, doing return to play, doing accountability, doing competition. All were things I did. On top of it, reading, going to seminars. On top of that, anytime a coach or anyone asked for a program, I'd jump at the opportunity. And what I realized in that setting, my value is only about my willingness to say yes in my mind versus my ability to actually contribute. You know, as Heath Ledger said in Batman, if you're good at something, you'll never do it for free. I think the point when we're looking at if my value is worth something, And when I say yes to something, that new thing that I've acquired doing needs to be at the compensatory level that I would be if I was doing something else that I was directly compensated for. I think that's something important because time has a finite, time has a value now. For me, I know it does. For you, the college strength coach or team setting strength coach who's kind of filling their day with with things to do, as Marcus Lemonis would say from The Prophet, you're not feeling like if I have a job every single day, you're wondering how many jobs you have to do every day. That mentality there of 
of doing more is why we have the opportunity to do something in the first place is good until it's not. I know the feeling of anxiety and pressure of this is a gift or this is, you know how many people want your job or this is, you know how much I had to sacrifice to be here. I'm not losing this opportunity. For what? Really, for what? To wear a logo on your shirt? To tell people you work at somewhere? To be seen on TV, potentially on a sideline during a game that you are just trying to get out of the way of? I'm not sitting there saying that's not a great payout for a lot of people. And I'm super proud of the time I had spent in the college sector. But I have a little bit of feeling of if I was just a little bit more strategic, if I was a little bit more, all right, like, it's going to come at a cost one way or another. Right? I remember that feeling of, I remember that feeling of just getting duped and feeling like I got sold a bill of goods when, you know, a coach would say, man, you know, whenever I do get a head coaching job, you're my guy. And I'd be writing a program for them and telling them things to do for a workout per se. And then they get a job and I would get a call. God, like that, that feels like you got manipulated. It feels like you got the wool pulled over your eyes. And I'm sure this is coming off as, as me, as a person that is jaded and disenfranchised. No. You know, I didn't go to the big city and get manipulated. Like, I I knew what I was choosing to do. And I felt like time was something I could always contribute. And I felt like time was a, necessarily, was a necessary evil to getting what I wanted. And I did reach head strength coach status. You know, I think you got to get better at realizing where and when you can strategically apply yourself. But I think that part is what I was basically learning is how to say no I'll be honest, a lot of times what I do is I just say yes and not do it. Sometimes now I actually now feel a lot more comfortable to say no to things. A lot of times what I say is, here's my rate. If you would like to have more conversation about it, here's what I'm going to have to charge you. And I think it's an important concept right there to talk about. If you were to charge for your time, what would that cost? What is your time worth? What's it worth to you? Better question is what's it worth to the people around you? What's it worth to the people directly paying you? What's it worth to the actual person that just wants to spend time with you? Your family, your children, your spouse. What's it worth? Can you determine that? Do you know what that is? I'll tell you a pretty easy calculator. It's what will it people are willing to pay. And you just start asking. You come out with a high number, you come out with a low number, and you start to find a median. I charge $400 an hour. I didn't come to that number arbitrarily. I came to that number over due time based on people asking me too much at $200 an hour. came to be asking people not really appreciating at $100 an hour. 
when I got $200 an hour, I got overwhelmed. When I asked for $400 an hour, get a really big sticker shock. And I get a response of, oh, I don't know if I can afford that. That's fine. That's completely okay. I appreciate you asking and I'm flattered. Just unfortunately, I can't do it unless it's 400. Because that's my answer based off of that's time away from my job and people who I'm here for on a daily basis to improve and make them better. That's time away from things that I need to be doing on a daily basis. That's time away from, from my family, my wife, my children. And it's also an, it's also an instinct of, have you really done your research? Cause I'm doing podcasts and I have blogs. I got a website with a curriculum at a much lower cost. It's my message to that person and asked me for my time of, if you really want this information and you're willing to hustle and get it, can you could put in the time? Can you save the 400 bucks and go out there on my blogs, my podcast, my website and just find this information? And I want to put this out there. You know, there's a line in, in business that if you don't ask, you don't get. Sure. It takes no courage to ask now. It doesn't. I get a DM. I get an email. Electronic correspondence asking for something isn't really that hard. You don't ask, you don't get. Shoot, I shoot my shot. But I always give something I'm exchanging for it. But either way, that's another topic for another day. When we go out there and we ask something, are you asking in person? Are you asking for something in per- that you know you need based off of doing research and based off of coming to some sort of conclusion that, hey, I'm going to have to really go to this person and learn from them. But you have to understand, too, the willingness to go out there and do it is probably going to be matched with. It's going to be very difficult for me to fit this in edgewise unless I get some some good compensation for it. But then we get to the team setting. And you're a head strength conditioning coach or a high level strength conditioning coach. And you get to that weird, weird setup of. A friend or family member or someone you know asks you to write a program or someone on staff asks you to train them or a former athlete asks you to train them or write you a program. I did all my combine stuff for free. I don't kick myself for that. To be honest, I just kind of thought it was my way of giving back to them for caring so much. I don't regret that. I felt like that was time well served. I do regret million dollar coaches asking me to do their nutrition plans, asking me to do their training plans, asking me to do anything for them without them paying me. I looked at that. It was a huge missed opportunity for myself. And I looked at that as them taking advantage of the situation and manipulating me. I don't don't resent them. Good on them. It got one over on me. Did I learn? Did I grow from that? There's some times in my career where I have to really evaluate. Sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. 
in that situation, working with multimillionaires who are not accustomed to paying for anything, especially in their ecosystem of an athletic department, I should have been charging. Even at the risk of them saying, I thought you were my guy. Because I was their guy and I didn't get anything from it. And I think when I don't charge or at least say, hey, that's going to come at some sort of cost. I'll diminish my value. Some people are better at asking than others. Some people are better asking, I need money back. I need money in return for others. I still have this uncomfortableness with basically people asking me for something and I'm saying I need some sort of compensation in return. I don't feel great about that. I don't feel this warm, fuzzy feeling when I go to someone saying I have to charge 400 bucks for that time. But I would say this, it's a necessary evil because if I don't have some sort of out, and maybe that's another way of saying no, without saying no, you set your price so high that no one could do it or no one wants to do it or no one believes that. I've gotten people, hey, you realize your hourly is higher than doctors and lawyers. Can doctors and lawyers do what I can do? As good as I can do it? Within my domain, I'm as good, if not better, than a doctor or a lawyer. And I would argue that the $400 is probably going to elicit better overall higher change than someone someone out, someone within their domain that's charging that much time. But it's not for me to determine, it's for you. And if you think I'm worth it, pay it. If you don't, don't. If you don't think I'm worth $400 an hour, that's your right to not pay that. But I don't have to move, I can move on. And there's gonna be times where I'll probably need the money. And I'll need to say, hey, what could you do? There's times I have really close friends that I really care about that we have a mutually beneficial relationship. Meaning they could provide me insight just as much as I could provide them insight. And I don't need to charge. In fact, a lot of times I feel I feel obligated to ask them, hey, would you want some money for this? Because this is really invaluable for me. My point of all this. It's not a bad thing to try to be more strategic with your time. It's not a bad thing to say, I have a certain value. And if I was willing to do everything, that means my value is lowered. It's not a bad thing to say, I'm prioritizing something that I need to be directly focusing on. Or something that I care more about. That's your choice. I would argue people need to do a better job of understanding their job description. People ask to do stuff outside of the constraints of what their job description labels need to do a really good job of evaluating what is above and beyond. You need to do your job. 
I see a lot of folks out there that keep doing other jobs outside their job because they can't say no or they don't want to do their job in the first place. If that is in fact the case, you shouldn't be in that job. You should have a different job entirely. You know, I, I, I always wanted to be, a, I don't want to sit there and say this, I'm just like, grunt in a weight room wearing sweatpants and baggy sweatshirts and just hiding down there and being a curmudgeon. That's generally speaking what I want to do, where I want to be. And it's only really centered off that. Someone asked me about hobbies the other day. And I said, hobbies doing something that you have no real intended output. You're just doing it for the, for the advantage or the benefit of doing it. The act of doing it is the hobby. I don't have hobbies or I never had a hobby. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I personally said no to hobbies because of, I feel like there's so much to learn and there's so much to do and so much to kind of, to build that I couldn't really commit to having a hobby. I told myself no, but I see a lot of hobbies in people's jobs. People just do things without really any purpose or meaning that you just kind of just jump on certain trains and they could justify it whatever means necessary. I'm working. What are you accomplishing? I'm working. That's what I'm doing. Sure. Great. That seems to be, uh, it seems to be an interesting phenomenon and then it seems to be every time I ask them to do something else, they'll do it. And then you kind of lose sight of what their actual job is in the first place. What is it that you do here? And you look like, you look like the guy from office space. I'm a people person. I work with people. I think there's an element though, that, that if we don't start to look at strategically saying no, or strategically saying yes to something that our purpose or our jobs are either going to be perceived as lessened or obsolete. And it's no wonder why athletic departments, when asked if we can get more compensation, come back and say, I don't really know what you do. What is the benefit of having you around? I know the athletes like you. I know the coaches really seem to really want you. But what is it that you do? Now, here's what I do. Here's my primary job description. Improve the speed, power, and strength of our, our sports teams while simultaneously reducing the rate of injury. If you don't believe in those three, like those two funnels or archetypes, that's fine. I don't, not really the point of this. But if you look at those two things, and if I say that is my primary job, Okay, how do you do that? Okay, well, it entails a lot of different things. Writing a program, having a weight room that's clean and professional and safe, training a staff, organizing group times around athlete schedules and coaches' schedules, training them, coaching them, giving them feedback, improving them, giving them motivation, incentive. 
working with our athletic trainers where athletes are injured and they're returning to play or working with athletic trainers and seeing what the rate of injuries are and what we need to do from a training standpoint. It's a full-time job. All-encompassing. Now, if I'm going to go to my supervisor and say, hey, I want to raise, here's my job description. Improve the speed, power, strength, and conditioning for our athletes while trying to simultaneously reduce the rate of injury. And you say, I really think I need to be paid more. Because outside of those, those basic fundamental tenets, I've included running nutrition, all sports supplementation, nutrition plans for all of our athletes. I run sports science and analytics. Our physical therapy from our athletic training and sports medicine department is pretty run, pretty run ragged. So I created a return to play program where I work with our athletes during practice or their non-lift times to have a, a better quality experience for them on a better coach to athlete ratio. I've added in taking on the responsibility of accountability from our coaches so they can focus more on film review, strategizing, recruiting. That we've added in this competition that we do all year. I think I need to have some more money because I've added five big whole jobs in itself. I think there's an element that I should be paid more and put this in perspective. That when I was at USC, I did all of this stuff. All of it. And I wanted that. I did. I started at 50, I ended at 60K a year. Living in Los Angeles, anyone who knows what that is, that's not a lot. When I left, in a very short period of time, they brought in someone to run nutrition. They brought in someone to run sports science. These are all jobs that were added after the fact. They brought in other people to coach and write programs and do other things. So what essentially I was doing the job, they needed three to five people to do. Spoiler alert, they all made more money than I did when I was there. And I'm happy for them. I think it's good for them. I didn't think I was going to be this martyr and basically be the sacrificial lamb for everyone else. I was just doing what I thought was right. It created a precedent and a standard. It created an element of this is now a necessary component of our overall athletic department. But now they have five people doing the job I was doing by myself. I think there's a lot of people can relate to that. If I was just smarter about saying, hey, I need more money. Or no, I'm not going to do that. But let's say you said no, who really wins? And I justified in my mind that when I went and became a head strength coach, I had awareness and ability to do that. I can implement these things. That's what I said to myself. But this isn't for now, this is for later. That's what I said to myself on all my continuing education that I had to pay out of pocket for. Six figures worth over my career that I paid out of pocket for. Okay, it's not for now, it's for later. 
for when I had strength coach, for when I had business owner, when I had to teach and instruct and help other people. It was an investment. Not directly saying to that school or that or institution I was working at that I was bringing actually more value. That I was, I was actually deserving of more compensation. They could easily spin it as, well, you didn't have to do it. Or I could spin it as, well, I'm not a finished product, so I shouldn't be charging for this. Well, obviously it was. Because it was so valuable, they couldn't do it without me. They'd have to figure out how to get it done with three to five with three to five other people. <coughs> That's how I know I was valuable. They couldn't replace me. They had to figure it out with multiple people. If that's not empowering, if that's not invalidating, I don't know what is. And the other end is if you don't ask, you don't get, that's fine. But I don't ask, I don't get, that's on me. If I don't say I charge this for my time, I'll never get paid. You don't ask, you don't get. And I think there's a lot of promising elements in this too. Um, I see so many strength conditioning coaches branching out and starting their own businesses and things on their own on top of their primary job. Don't get it twisted. I'm still doing a really good job of my day-to-day. I know a lot of strength conditioning coaches are as well. I know they're hustling. I know they're doing an amazing job developing their businesses. But on the other end, when they wake up and they put their there's team issued gear on, they're doing a great job there. Probably a better job because they have a better perspective on what that job means and what that job is. And they feel more valued and they feel more deeper connection to it. I know I do. I know that when I'm doing my job, I feel a deeper, more, more intimate connection to the job that I'm doing based off the understanding of what that time's worth. I know what my value is. And I set a high bar for myself. So I hope this is something that resonates with people. Um, I would look at it from the context of strategize on what you say yes and no to. Ask yourself what your value is. Ask if you can charge that. And then on the other end, it's start to look at from the context of the things you say yes to. Is there an outlet that actually could benefit you in the long term? The things that you say no to. Was there no definitive clear-cut path to actually bringing a new value long-term? You decide when and where you charge. You decide when and what you do outside of your primary job description and your primary responsibilities as a human. And as you start to develop these methodologies or these things of, uh, or these things that are outside the purview of your primary job, you make a game time decision of saying, this is something that I need to work on. I just want the opportunity to help to, to implement this. Let me start to use my time, right? And I think you know, this is a really good example in itself. I have a podcast. I've been running for two years. I don't charge people to listen to this because I don't necessarily think it's a finished product. But get ready. If it is, if people start to value this thing, okay. Now I'm going to have some sort of compensation from it. You know, there's an indirect lesson in that itself. So I appreciate you guys. 
hope these are helping. I hope as we're starting to crank through the Strength Coach Chronicles, you guys are pulling some stuff from. Also, too, feedback would be amazing. If you guys are listening to this and made it this far, please send us a note, either through the PH Podcast Instagram or through uh, through uh, the website. We have info at, at phpodcast.com. Uh, Just send us a note saying, hey, we really like this format of monologuing it. Um, and going through various topics on just free form. Uh, great. I would really appreciate that. If there's something where you want to kind of different format, we're going to start to beta test some other ones here in the near future. Uh, just trying different ways to deliver high level content for you guys in strength conditioning. So I appreciate you guys. And, uh, when you guys are get a moment, just give us some feedback. We'd really appreciate that. Head over to phpodcast.com.